0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is Ag Day.
1: Learning outside the classroom, we visit the Giving Garden in Georgia. Winter weather moves in, the latest on the dangerous conditions in the central U.S. as the pork industry looks ahead to the new year
0: after a year of struggles. The industry has been losing a lot of money for a lot of months. What it's hoped 2024 will bring right now on Ag Day.
1: Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on the cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. In less than a week, enforcement will officially begin on California's Proposition 12. It marks the beginning of changes for the pork industry, an industry that has faced many production challenges this year. AgDates' Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, this is a year many pork producers would just soon forget.
2: No doubt, Clint, U.S. pork producers have been seeing red ink all year. And 2023 will go down as being one of the worst years for profitability in the last 25 years. And that includes during the COVID-19 pandemic. The negative pork margins are the result of oversupply with the recovery in the herd from disease, higher feed and input costs, inflation plus political hits and demand disruptions such as Prop 12 and Question 3. This has led to herd liquidation by even the large integrators with announcements that contracts between packers and producers would not be renewed in states like Missouri and most recently
0: Utah. The industry has been losing a lot of money for a lot of months. It's over 18 months, basically consecutive of losses. So when you're accumulating that kind of losses, it's going to be hard to maintain uh, anybody staying in at full production. So people are looking for a way to save some money and, and to cut costs and things.
2: Pork sector losses are comparable to 1998, which saw the lowest cash prices for hogs in US history, accounting for inflation at $15 per live hundredweight. Partners in production agriculture data shows at that time producers lost almost $26 per head and this year are set to lose more than $22, which in today's environment may be worse.
0: I mean, the feed costs back then were quite a bit less. Uh, Yes, we weren't getting or we're getting a higher price now. And so, but with the way things have gone, we're still at a loss and because of the inflation and everything. so it's it's a serious problem in the pork industry right now.
2: USDA's hogs and pigs report confirmed large upfront supplies at nearly 75 million head and while hogs kept for breeding was down three percent it was offset by pigs per litter which was up four percent due to less disease. That'll make it difficult to see a significant rebound in prices for a while. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day.
1: All right thanks Michelle and even as California's new pig housing standards go into effect A similar law is making its way through the Massachusetts courts right now. We're talking about the state's Question 3. Now state officials are requesting the dismissal of a lawsuit challenging that animal welfare law. The lawsuit was filed by Triumph Foods. It claims the law violates the Commerce Clause and other provisions of the U.S. Constitution. Now state officials say the lawsuit lacks merit because the company can't demonstrate harm resulting from the regulations. That law went into effect on August 24th. Travel conditions have been treacherous at times across the central U.S. as a winter storm continues to bring blizzard conditions along with ice into the plains in upper Midwest. We're talking about Nebraska, South Dakota, Kansas, Wyoming, and Colorado, which you can see here. While the snow has moved on from the Denver area, areas of blowing snow were still an issue in the eastern plains. More unsettled weather is on the way for the West Coast. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us with an update.
3: And that's right, we are going to be watching for more moisture, more rainfall to impact parts of the west coast there, especially the southwest portions there of the U.S. And this is a very typical El Nino setup for the start of January. More drier weather for the northern states and more wet weather for the southern states. Coming up here in just a few minutes when we get into full weather, we're going to take a look at the outlook for January, February, right on into March, uh, the three-month outlook what are we going forward here as far as the precipitation goes as we round out the rest of 2023 and going forward into 2024 at least for the few first few days there of the start of the new year we can certainly tell where that moisture is going to be centered out across the west coast as well as parts of the deep south going to tap into that we'll have to watch for a little bit more rain showers maybe a few snowflakes flying though for parts of the great Lakes states right up into the new england coastline and it's all thanks to this cutoff low that will continue to provide moisture here as we wrap up the end of the this week. And check out this video. Just take a moment to enjoy life on the farm in the winter. John sharing this video of a stunning late December sky in Western New York. John capturing the beauty at Wickham Farms in Penfield. I'll mourn your Ag Day forecast in just a few minutes.
1: In China, Beijing has recorded its longest cold wave in modern history and residents of the megacity are struggling to stay warm. For around two weeks, the Chinese capital has seen sub-zero temps, the longest cold snap since records began back in 1951. The Arctic chill has been felt far beyond Beijing, with power plants throughout the country on overdrive to heat up homes. Now, across the country, coal-powered plants have been on full drive, yet problems at a plant in central China? forced heating in one city to be temporarily cut. Argentina expects the second-best harvest in its history. A report from the Rosario Stock Exchange details that grain production for the latest cycle is estimated at around 137 million tons. That's thanks to a recovery in the weather following three droughts. The projection would result in exports of approximately 35.8% billion dollars. The study indicates the expected harvest would represent an increase of 65 percent compared to the previous seasons, but slightly below the historical record of 140 million tons reached back in 2018. A report says the Mormon Church now owns about two billion dollars worth of U.S. farmland. The DailyMail.com reporting that's more than Bill Gates and China combined. It recently purchased around 370,000 acres in Nebraska, And it says the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has now bought more land in that state than any other entity over the past five years. It says the church is already believed to be the largest private landowner in Florida after buying 383,000 acres of timber back in 2019. Now the president of the Nebraska Farmers Union telling the website that it's not fair competition when folks bring in that much outside money and bid against local farmers and ranchers. It is worth noting that the Daily Mail says there is no evidence to suggest impropriety in its business dealings in Nebraska. Lawsuits over Bayer's Roundup continue. Just last week, the company won its latest case in the Golden State. A California man said he developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma from exposure to Bayer's Roundup herbicide. Now, last week, a jury in San Benito County ruled against him and in favor of Bayer. The company saying the verdict was consistent with the evidence in the case that Roundup does not cause cancer and is not responsible for the plaintiff's illness. Now, the company says it's now won 10 of the last 15 cases, adding that it continues to stand behind the safety of Roundup and will defend the safety of their products. Commodity markets take a breather on Wednesday. We'll talk year-end momentum coming up in Markets Now. And later, we're off to Georgia, where lessons about food and sustainability are teaching kids in the garden, today in the country. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Steel Closing Wheels. Perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order your Germinator Closing Wheels today. Grain softened in midweek while feeder cattle hang on to gains. Michelle Rook has more in Markets Now.
2: On Wednesday, John Payne is joining us. And John, uh, corn and wheat futures setting back. But after a big day on Tuesday, how much of that was just some profit taking?
4: I would think a lot of it. You know, we were up 3% yesterday and wheat and corn did a better better job following along. But today, just very little follow-through news. You know, in fact, anywhere you kind of scan across four or five different websites we subscribe to, and it's tough to, to really Pull something out of the market that's going to make a huge difference here. Uh, moving average closes on soybeans were watched here. We're right at the 200-day moving average for March soybeans and for March soybean meal. Um, in the case of the wheat markets, you know you've seen tremendous amount of selling this year, and I think that you know short speculative funds going into a time of the year when, you know, I would say the U.S. is competing for this kind of business that we're seeing overseas, but it is price specific. Price, that, I guess, associates at those levels, so. You know, there's not a whole lot of premium that needs to put in to keep the U.S. from from winning that business. You know, any type of sharp rally that we'll get from there, we'll, we'll see the U.S. come in and win. And then on the court side, you know, crude oil is is a is a is a you know headwind. Um, you know, this Argentine story is kind of a headwind in the shorter run. I think there's there's just a lot here in corn when you look at the carries. Uh, that, that create a lack of incentives and really want to own the markets here. I'm not saying the markets can't trade higher. In fact, I think the fact that spec funds aren't in it is usually a good sign. But you know, from the standpoint of the U.S. producer needing to sell, and they would be the ones who are majority long right now, uh, they're going to look to move into the beginning of the year and need to raise cash. So I think that rallies for the March time period are going to be short-lived.
2: You mentioned soybeans kind of pivoting around the 200-day moving average, and obviously we've been watching South American weather. So do we kind of stay in that range, John, until we get more definitive, either news about damage there or they get more rain?
4: Yeah, well, I think the damage, you know, we need those guys to short cover, and that's what we will need to have happen, and I just don't think they're going to see that kind of move yet. You know, if things are priced in relatively close to where I think they should be, uh, you know the South American guys that we work with are not going to be short covering on a move up to 14. They're just simply not going to lose the supply quick enough. So if you're going to see a market move higher, I think it's got to be in something out of China. You know, you look at any type of wood, edible oil market, it's on its it's on its rear. So we need to see those markets turn around, see crude oil turn around. I think that kind of lead the rest of that complex higher. Thanks
2: so much for joining us, John Payne, Hedgepoint Global Markets. We'll have more update. Mm-hmm.
3: As promised, here's a look at our three month outlook for the temperatures are concerned as we round out the winter months here, January, February, right on into March and very typical El Nino pattern. Warm again for the northern states and at times at or below average temperatures for parts of the southern half here of the country. And again, the weather service really starting to highlight again, well above average temperatures becoming more and more likely for parts of the Pacific Northwest. As far as the rainfall and snowfall is concerned, well, we're going to be reliant heavily on if the jet stream lines on up for parts of the northern prairie as well as the great lake states. Uh, The great lake states actually are going to be more dependent on any type of lake effect snow uh, rather than system snow likely as we go throughout January, February, right on into March. Not saying that we won't get into a good decent uh, snow system, snow that is, uh, but the trends turning less and less likely and we're going to be watching for again that moisture plume to still inundate parts of the four corner states down across the southwestern US and parts of the deep south as well, including down into Florida where they're going to be getting very timely rains. Check out our current snow depth. Uh, This is one of the lowest the snow depths for end of December uh, on the record books here and again, we're not looking at much in the way of snow depth out there. The bulk of the snow mainly across the Rockies and we did just have a snowstorm and ice storm and blizzard out across parts of the northern prairie and that's where we're seeing that snow depth otherwise we're really looking at the bulk of the country here not dealing much in the way of snow that snow drought continuing and looking at the drought monitor we need the moisture and we need it across parts of the deep south and even seeing it down across the traditional corn belt of regions we're talking Iowa as well as parts of Indiana and southern Illinois really starting to see some of that drier weather coming into play and it's all due to again the lack of snowfall that has been falling and the lack of heavy rains and just overall looking at the snowfall estimate here as we wrap up 2020 23 not much in the way of snow happening. Maybe just a quick dusting of snow for the southern half there of the Great Lake states looking at our temperatures for this afternoon. We're looking at 40 in Chicago, 52 Atlanta, 63 down into Jacksonville, 63 Los Angeles, 41 up into Billings, Montana. Let's go ahead and check out our Select Ag Day cities, Crane Lake, Minnesota, some clouds in the morning. Otherwise looking at some sunshine. High is getting back above freezing 35 degrees going on over to Georgia. We're looking at a few clouds around the area. We'll call it a partly cloudy 61 degrees and going over to southern Texas sunny high
1: 66. USA's Food Safety and Inspection Service has now confirmed the eligibility of Paraguay to export beef products to the U.S. The agency is saying any beef imported from Paraguay will come with foreign inspection certificates and that the products were produced under an inspection system equivalent to FSIS requirements. You'll remember we told you earlier this month that several groups like the National Cattlemen's Beef Association opposed the decision to allow beef from Paraguay back into the country, citing concerns over the country's history of foot and mouth disease. Members of the U.S. House also sending a letter to the Ag Secretary opposing the plan. And two senators have filed a Congressional Review Act resolution to overturn that decision. Now, Paraguay was previously eligible to export meat to the U.S. However, in 1997, FSIS notified officials the country was no longer eligible because it did not implement requirements under the agency's final rule. Taking a look back at 2023, cattle prices are ending the year as high as they've been in a decade. The University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture saying while that's good news for producers who were able to maintain their herd, the news isn't so great for those who couldn't. Officials reporting that most of the year both futures in cash markets for steers, calves, and more saw improvement over last year. Now, James Mitchell, an extension economist at the university, said the benefits of those higher prices fell on those with access to good grazing and forage. Meanwhile, drought continued to tighten cattle production with dry conditions in the southern plains of Kansas and Texas and the southeast. Areas that now can't benefit from the higher prices due to a lack of grass and forage. Now, Mitchell says pastures are going to have to recover before we see any discussion about expanding cattle numbers. There are so many lessons to learn in agriculture. Up next, how a Georgia garden is teaching kids about life and community in the country. This program in Georgia is getting kids out of the classroom, it's called the Giving Garden. And as John Holcomb of the Georgia Farm Monitor tells us, students aren't just cultivating plants, but also a sense of self-sustainability and community.
5: Here at Lakeview Middle School in Catoosa County, these students are hard at work tending to their school garden, known as the Giving Garden. A project that has become an oasis for them as it's used as an outlet for kids that maybe need some extra attention. According to Jessica Tatum, school counselor and one of the masterminds behind the garden says it takes a lot of work, but says this is just one of the ways the school pours into these kids outside of just academics.
6: I like to use horticultural therapy because each counselor or therapist has their own strengths and weaknesses. I enjoy gardening and I feel like I wanna show the kids something I love and get them excited about it so they can learn different things that maybe they aren't used to, that they could, first of all, learn how to dive into something that maybe they're unsure about and learn it and love it because you know that's what you're gonna have to do in life. And as far as therapy in the classroom, sometimes, honestly, for a school counselor, just giving the students a break in the fresh air Letting them use their hands and have tangible sensations, it helps a lot when they go back, especially our ADHD kids. When they go back into the classroom, it's giving them a brain break and a movement break. And I think that's a lot better than just sitting in another classroom or the counselor's office just chatting.
5: According to Tatum, the garden also serves another purpose, as she says it helps kids learn to become self-sustainable something she's recognized as important, as a large part of their students may not have access to fresh, nutritious foods all the time.
6: A large part of our school is at or below poverty line, so a lot of kids and students don't really have access to fresh vegetables all the time, um, or gardens, gardens are just peaceful in general, so you know, fresh flowers are good for the soul, learning how to dig in the dirt, stuff like that. So, it's really good that. We're teaching the students, myself and Becky, are teaching the students how to plant and grow veggies because, you know, like I said, they don't always have access to it. And if they do, they don't know what it is or how to eat it, etc.
5: Becky Carson, Site Coordinator with Communities and Schools at LMS, who runs the school's garden group, says they've had excellent participation and says that it's something that the kids look forward to each week.
7: They're very excited to come out. I've gotten kids that are not even part of the Communities and Schools program here, ask me, stop me in the hallway, hey, how can I join your garden group, and when are we going to have our next garden group. And uh, so, they're definitely receptive to it and they're eager to come out and work, and it's gone very well so far, I'm really pleased with it.
5: Carson says that the garden has also become an opportunity for the kids to give back to their peers, as they get to decide what's done with the produce after they've harvested it.
7: I also wanted to build teamwork and um, a place where they can also give back what they get from the garden. So we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to have a survey to what they want to do with the bounty that we get at the end of the year, the harvest, and perhaps we can give it to the cafeteria or we can give it to uh, families in need in the community because I know there's several families here that each week I actually offer food bags to them to go home. So perhaps we can supplement some of those fresh vegetables and fruits to those bags as well. And they have a sense of pride with that, that they've helped somebody, they've helped grown it, they've learned about it, and they can also take it home as well.
5: Reporting in Rossville for the Farm Monitor, I'm John Holcomb.
1: Our thanks to John Holcomb and the Georgia Farm Monitor for sharing that story with us. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.